This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hey folks, good afternoon and welcome to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kanisan and today we're going to be talking about what is needed to make a good city. And we're talking about this because last week, Klang joined the party. The town which hosts Malaysia's biggest seaport is set to become the fourth city in Selangor this year following a cabinet meeting last week. The ministry will be pumping in or has already pumped in 15 million ringgit set aside for the development of Klang's new city council as well as just under 25 million and Ringgit to improve roads. It also hopes to improve Port Klang's wet market, quarter bridges, pedestrian and cycle paths, playgrounds in Bukit Tinggi and new public toilets among other facilities. So on the back of this, today on BizBytes, we're going to discuss the implications that this could have on local businesses as well as what a newly formed city needs in order to thrive uh, and the implications on urban planning that come along with culture and heritage, right? Because as we develop, there's also a sense that we want to maintain our culture maintain our heritage. So how do we balance all of that out? If you have any thoughts on any of this, you can always get in touch with us on our U-Mobile number. You WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. Right now though, joining us for this discussion is Charlie Ko, CEO and founder of Urbanmetry, a data analytics company focused on providing solutions and analytics for their clients to create better cities in Malaysia. Uh, Charlie, how are you doing? Uh, it's good to speak to you again after our open for, for business, I think, was it two, three weeks ago now? Yeah, great to be uh, back with you uh, on the show. Last week, of yeah. course, we heard that Klang uh, will become the fourth city in Selangor. Um, before we dive into that and the implications here, um, maybe give us a sense, you know, based on the data that you guys look at, um, what does you know? What does a newly found city need in order to thrive? I mean, aside funding, of course. Really good question. So let me just give some context on the kind of uh, governance that we have and what's the status, what's the sure. city, what not. A lot of uh, audience or listeners will probably be wondering, hey, you know, isn't Kuala Lumpur a city? Mm-hmm. Isn't Greater KL a city? Why is there like a, a another fourth city in <laughs> Langor, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, it's a, it's a, it's not very. It doesn't come very natural to the listeners who who lives on a daily basis, right? Because uh, the the ecosystem is actually quite integrated uh, as you go towards Greater Kuang, uh, Klang Valley. Okay, so that's our metropolitan. So. Uh, of our the way we are structuring ourselves, uh, the local councils, uh, we have about 155 local councils, and uh, not all of them are cities. Okay, so all they have different different status and mm-hmm. uh, basically like district offices, and then uh, now for Klang, uh, it has become a city. So the city status is granted whenever you have 500,000 people in your council. Uh, or if you have more than a hundred million uh, in income, right? So these are actually quite interestingly uh, static uh, definitions. Mm-hmm. But as you know, inflation it doesn't take account like you know inflation. <laughs> it doesn't take into account like growth and where are the boundaries? If you see right, so put all that aside. Uh, really, the upgrade from the normal local council to a city um, status. Uh, it's almost like adulthood, right? So right. imagine when you are like a teenager and then you become an adult, there are a lot more responsibilities, there are a lot more complexities uh, because the number of people that you're dealing with and your number of customers have now grown. So think of it that way where the, the this specific uh, 
entity is now graduating to become a city. And with it comes funding, but also more responsibility. So this responsibility includes um, trying to better serve their customers uh, through a newer way of restructuring themselves through their governance. Uh, and hopefully when they go down this path, they don't uh, equate the more funding to more a bloated uh, local council uh, uh, headcount, mm -hmm. but more towards efficiency, digitization, smart city, and using um, data more to become more efficient with the dollars that they're getting versus just adding more headcounts. So uh, it is a, a coming of age kind of a story here we are seeing. All right, Charlie, given the experience you have with various stakeholders, could you maybe give us a sense of how you think this new funding should be allocated in order to maximize it in the right way? So we are at a digitization time now. Mm -hmm. And uh, fortunately, a lot of our government structure is still very much like, you know, uh, more responsibility means more headcount. Uh, and I would like to urge, you know, the mayor who's in charge of um, this new coming of age plan to consider uh, restructuring his uh, local council more efficiently using technology and using data and not just uh, the conventional way of just adding more headcount. Because when things are getting more complex, um, things are also getting more expensive. So one of the things about number of population that you serve is that there's a cost to serve these 500,000 or more people in plank. To make your money go a bit further, you need to be more efficient in addressing the specific needs of these customers. So, for example, uh, think about trash collection, mm -hmm. right? So, trash is probably the most expensive cost that the local council has. And nobody talks about this, right? Um, in serving the customer, right? Per, the last time that I heard about it, it was like per ton of uh, rubbish cost about... 30 to 40 ringgit to dump like into the landfill. So as you have more people and you have more trash um, and you have, you know, more cost to serve. So to do with like the roads and the light and all these things that you need to serve the customer. So going forward, Clang, as you're, expect, you're, you're expecting more and more uh, population into your city and uh, people start to move to Clang as it becomes better, you really need to be efficient uh, for your dollar to be further and not just add on more operating costs. Right. And, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the changes that happen. You know, you become a city, um, you know, the governance, a bit more governance, a bit more responsibility, a bit more funding. Uh, but on the ground, Charlie, is there anything you can tell us about what changes for regular citizens, right? What what is there anything more that they, they can expect from their city councils or their potential city councils? So on the ground, definitely the more funding that they will be more uh, eligible for should translate to better infrastructure, better maintenance, better services for the, cust uh, for the um, citizens mm -hmm. on the ground if they don't, you know, waste it on mm -hmm. uh, inefficiency. So that's why we think that with the funding, uh, we hope that it is put into the right uh, growth driving quality of life driving initiatives, like, for example, initiatives to protect uh, trees, right? People don't think about this, but we really need the oxygen 
in this part in, in this time of our climate change, right? Uh, but there, there's never been funding to actually, you know, tag our trees, for example, or, or do an asset evaluation of all the trees that's available. And Clan actually has quite a lot of greeneries, um, despite the industrial zones, etc. And no uh, funding was ever given to actually protect uh, some of these uh, natural assets, right? So things like that, that it's beyond just building roads, tarring your road, you know, upgrading your drainage. People have to start being a bit more matured and sophisticated about city building and resilience and things like that in the next 20, 30 years. Now, Charlie, before we go into a few messages, since you've brought up this topic then, what advice, whether to Klang or to other potential cities out there, uh, what are the key things to keep in mind to build a thriving city, right? What are the things that we underestimate? Like this example you gave about trees. Based on the work you've done, what are the few things that you would highlight that uh, city councils, town councils pay attention to more? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I find it very troubling is local councils actually deal with externalities or the common base, right? So things that all of us, you know, the death of the, the commons, right? They call it when everybody pollutes or everybody throws stuff outside of their house, if you see, right? But actually, they also hold the biggest asset, which is our common asset. Uh, generally, your green spaces, your uh, forest spaces, etc. But they don't appear in your balance sheet. Somehow, we think that it is only when they monetize it that it's of value. So if you have a green space and you just leave it be, it's uh, in, in the local council's balance sheet, it is seen as zero. Uh, I think that needs to change and, and local councils need to be a bit more uh, sophisticated about valuing all these assets that they have and not um, seen as, you know, just sitting in their books as cost, right? So that's what I think uh, they should change the mentality to. All right, Charlie, don't go anywhere. Stay on the line with us as we go into a few messages. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the implications to businesses, if any, and uh, how do we balance between culture and heritage and development when it comes to city building. Folks, I've been speaking to Charlie Ko, who's CEO and founder of Urbanmetry, a data analytics company that focuses on providing solutions for their clients to create better cities here in Malaysia and abroad. Um, we're going into a few messages. We'll be back in just a bit. I'm Roshan Kanesan for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kanesan, and this afternoon we've been talking about the implications of Klang becoming a city, what it means for city building, what it means for the citizens of Klang, and what it could mean for businesses as well. Uh, helping me with this discussion has been Charlie Ko, CEO and founder of Urbanmetry, a data analytics company that focuses on providing solutions for clients to create better cities here in Malaysia. So businesses are a part of uh, our major stakeholders of cities as well. Um, now, with that in mind, does being a city do anything for them? Does it you know, help drive their businesses, maybe provide them more resources, or is it business as usual? I think there are short-term and long-term benefits to mm -hmm. the businesses, but also long-term and short-term pains for the businesses, right? <laughs> so, uh, let me let me elaborate. So, uh, let's talk about the um, slight pains first. So, as the local council starts to uh, get the city status, they are held with some more stringent criteria about their ability to pollute, uh, reporting standards to federal government, to the world. So, 
this is not very well known, but there are sister cities around the world and cities I get they get compared, right, across uh, countries. Mm. And so when you are held to the city status, like you're adult now, please behave, right? <laughs> you have standards, right? So uh, people will start looking at your pollution. People will start looking at your approval process. People will start looking at uh, how you're serving, are your citizens happy, you know, that sort of thing, right? So uh, now you now have a higher standards, which means that a lot of the manufacturers who are in the heavy industries, uh, in Klang might get slightly more stringent criteria in terms of their polluting uh. standards, right? So, uh, because, you know, zoning and things like that. Maybe, right? Uh, theoretically, that's supposed to be the case. Lah. So, that's short-term pain, right? But in the long term, if these more stringent criteria are put in, the citizens are happier. They are living in better uh, environments, no open burning, for example, no less pollution to the, the rivers and things like that. And so your citizens will be happier and there are more sort of like better quality of life in the location and uh, it thrives, the city thrives in the long term. But you have a, a bit of a short-term pain. The other thing is you get more um, funding, obviously. You get a lot more attention. You get a lot more federal support. And those things will help you for Clang, especially to uh, mitigate climate risk, right? So it is the one with the biggest coast. Uh, it is the one that I also go on BFM and other channels to talk about the impending uh, annual floods that we are at risk of. And so the funding will help you in terms of uh, trying to build a more resilient city and, and uh, protect the citizens as we face these really scary scenarios, right? And the last thing is, uh, there's also opportunities, as like you said, uh, for businesses to use these city status to upgrade, right? So Klang now has uh, the coast, but it also has a lot of heritage uh, uh, buildings and heritage culture uh, from the old Klang town. Do you know that if you go to Klang town itself, some of the buildings are over 100 years old mm. because Klang was the original capital for Slango. Uh, when you when you use trade etc right so all those sort of cultural elements could build tourism could build more um, a responsible type of industry building versus the heavy polluting uh, industries that we used to see uh, because of the access to Klang River and the access to uh, dispose uh, pollutants into the Klang River right maybe we can change that mentality or the opportunity to do that as well so lots of opportunities lots of challenges. Now that Klang is going to be a city, could we see the industries in that city starting to change given its uh, this change in status? Could we see any examples of other industries breaking in or older industries moving out into other areas? Yeah, so I think uh, some of the Klang manufacturers have to relocate anyhow because of the threat of the waters, right? Mm. So you will start seeing a lot of uh, swam areas or, or highly uh, physical risk areas, right? And knowing this is going to happen, Plan has to think about ways to diversify its economy and also become more resilient. Mm. And uh, ideas could be, I'm not saying this is like <laughs> not made, right? So ideas could be tourism, you know, mangrove growing, all kinds of new um, ways of generating income for the city while the industries are going to be expected to move to higher ground uh, over time. Now. So you will see a lot more movement uh, because transport is also 
uh, going to be affected, right? If uh, it's going to flood that often. So those are the things that will start changing because of the physical environment that Klang is in. And uh, with the funding and with the proper sort of governance, I believe uh, Klang would be able to strategize a more resilient city uh, to, to, to face what we, we have up front of Ursula. So while the, you know, the minister and, and a lot of the authorities are talking about, oh, here's a new funding, go build new, I don't know, like uh, wet markets and things like that, right? Those are things that citizens feel like, oh, I can see today. Mm-hmm. But really, um, there, are, there are things that are actually needing some more investment for a longer arc than just new toilets or new uh, wet markets, right? We need to really plan for the city a bit more long-term because the city is not going to be there for three years. It's going to be there for 30 years, right? Yeah. So on that note then, you know, I just want to revisit the climate risk part a little bit because you mentioned, you know, the flooding could get worse as climate change continues to, well, worsen on its current trajectory. Um, could you maybe illustrate a little further the potential uh, risks here that Klang faces uh, as a uh, from uh, climate risk? So my opinion is a little bit more pessimistic than some other <laughs> folks. Okay, so I, I hope not to rain on people's parade too much, but there has been proposals on like diversion of water, you know, as uh, it, it, you know the, the, the sea level rises and the floods is going to Taman Sri Muda and, you know, parts of Meru and Kappa and all, right? I think uh, the people are not really fully understanding the scale of this uh, annual floods that we are talking about. It is something that's really quite permanent. And building a dike around our port seems like, you know, a good idea until you see the dollar bill and the, the number of years you need to actually execute it, right? So... Um, authorities need to think about this a bit more thoroughly and start thinking about diversification and adaption um, versus sort of like, I don't know, like prevention. You can't prevent it anymore. This is a global phenomenon. So we have to start thinking of how we live around this phenomenon and what is the most cost-effective way of doing that. Uh, the, the worrying thing is that a lot of our key manufacturing plants are near the port. Mm. So discussions need to start... Uh, right now, actually, and the, the Klang local council needs to start now in thinking about their land use planning, uh, their housing planning, and all those things to prevent further damages on the average citizen, right? Because they don't have that knowledge. And these people in um, positions of power have access to this knowledge. And uh, I, I personally think it's their responsibility to protect um, the average citizen from you know, a 30-year mortgage in a swamp land, right? Yeah, these are all super important issues that I think, as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of things that we can see. If you put money into, you can see the development now, but doesn't necessarily protect us years or decades uh, from this current point in time. Charlie, I just want to get your thoughts a little bit on, you know, the conditions to meet to get to a city status, right? Earlier you mentioned the, like, the, sta- <laughs> the static conditions. You know, we don't think about inflation and development, all these kind of things. So right now, the, the in order to become a city, uh, you've got to hit 500,000 people living there. And then the MPK has an income of 100 million ringgit. Um, is this still a relevant way to determine whether 
a township or a, an area hits a city status or by any means, are these static conditions enough of a metric to use to determine whether a certain area has reached different states of cityhood? Uh, look, so I think it is a shame that uh, most of the time when we think about town planning here in Malaysia, the element of time is entirely ignored. Mm. Okay, so if you think about a, a city plan, you know, the KL 2020 city plan or the KL 2030 city plan, right? Everybody has these nice, colorful rainbow charts of like, oh, where's the housing <laughs> and where's like, the uh, forest and where's the industrial ETC, right? But nobody talks about time. It's very strange to me because every year we have birth, we have new population coming in, and, and the things that we build are pretty permanent, right? But we don't talk about how much housing supply is required now versus later. What's the, what's the control, right? What's the rate of growth? Um, and it's the same here, right? These standards of 500,000 people, uh, what's the density? Is it correct? Because all the co local councils are actually not the same size. You know, like what is uh, 500,000 people? And what is 100 million? Is it 100 million 10 years ago? It's completely different uh, purchasing power from 100 million today. So we really need to start thinking about time and really thinking about local councils as businesses, right? Because mm -hmm. you won't set the same KPI uh, and categorize like, you know, a startup that's a unicorn and now it's a decacorn and I don't know what other <laughs> corns are. But, you know, it changes. The size changes uh, depending. It's all relative. And we have to start thinking about our cities as dynamic, even though it is hard. I think it's hard for authorities to think about them dynamically because it's a complex uh, thing. But in order for us to deal with the problems at hand, we should think about it dynamically. So I hope that answered your question. I was going around the bush a little bit, but... Uh, basically, I think that it needs to be a little bit more than just a static number. No, no, it does, it does get to the heart of the question there. Um, and, uh, Charlie, as we come to the end of this session, um, Klang's status as a royal town is intended to be developed towards a symbol of national identity. Maybe you can give us, uh, tell us a little bit about how, you know, culture and heritage uh, plays a part in urban planning, right? Is it seen as, you know, an opportunity or a barrier? If it is a barrier, then how do we reconcile something like that? So Klang is such a special place because it has so much history. It's such The Klang River is such a big part of our identity as Malaysians because it, it is really economic growth, right? That river really mm -hmm. brought us back, right? And Klang uh, was at the heart of it. So the, the thing that I found very interesting is that as Klang developed, uh, the emphasis is now the emptying out, right? It's a little bit like Master Jamit where people start to empty out. They don't want mm -hmm. to live around it, right? And uh, they start moving to newer townships. There are sexier, newer, bigger roads. You can park for cars. Uh, this is sort of like, I don't know, aspirational living that we are in. And as the people empty out, the culture loses its value. Mm. So in order for us to talk about Klang or Klang City or Klang Town, uh, you know, the old town area, as a cultural symbol, there needs to be interest and there needs to be um, investment by the people to want that culture and to uphold that culture. And to bring that back, tourism is one vehicle. But really, we need to start activating the spaces to the needs of today and versus seeing it as a museum, you know? Mm. So a lot of times people see it as like, oh, it's a museum, I go and, you know, reminisce in the past. 
if it's an active area, um, then that's no longer required because there's an economic value to it that naturally draws people in, right? But there, of course, that you can put in boundaries and, and uh, conditions in which how they engage in this physical space as cultural and heritage. But somehow in our country, we, we see it as a deterrent. Okay, heritage means we put it in a museum, we don't touch it. That's not how we talk about heritage, right? <laughs> uh, you need it to actually yield interest, draw interest uh, for it to have a sustainable uh, a way going forward. Uh, Charlie, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and getting in, diving into this topic a little further. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before we speak again. Thank you so much for your time. You're most welcome. Have a good evening. I was speaking with Charlie Ko, founder and CEO of Urban Metri. You've been listening to Enterprise BizBytes. If you miss any part of that conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast players. Just be sure to look up for Enterprise BizBytes. Looking ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay after the 1pm news bulletin. Uh, today on the grill was Christina T, Group CEO of Cape EMS, the electronic manufacturing services provider. They made a strong debut on the main market back in March this year and they'll be getting into the outlook for the electronics and manufacturing services industry and the future direction of Cape EMS going forward. I'm Roshan Karnison. This has been Enterprise Biz Bites. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.